I can't tell you how excited I am to be here tonight. Uh, from about 2015-16 until COVID, I used to lecture at the uh, theological college there at Auchinflower for Uniting Church, and I'd always stay in the city, catch the train. I cannot tell you how many times I've walked past this church, and I have a habit when I walk past churches. And that is not something super spiritual or anything, but I always offer a prayer. And I can remember praying for this church on many occasions. And when Stu Cameron rang me up and said, we're moving into Albert Street Church and becoming part of that church, I was ever so excited. God bless you. And, and it's exciting to preach from here. One day that's going to all be full. Amen? And we're going to see renewal, revival. I'm believing for that. Keep praying for it. Um, uh, I just want to say a prayer, and I want to pray that God's Spirit would meet with us this day. Is that right? Lord Jesus, I pray that your word would speak to us. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit now. Come Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And speak to us, I pray. Amen. You know, in about the year um, 1900, there was a staggering piece of research done by an educator by the name of Winship. And what this educator wanted to do, he was interested in the Edwards family, particularly the great revivalist and preacher, Jonathan Edwards, from the 1700s. And what he wanted to do was to ask the question, how, was his, how has his life affected the subsequent generations of the Edwards family? And he studied, you know, five generations, 1,500 descendants. And in his um, study, he, he found that Jonathan Edwards had married Sarah, his wife, in 1727. They'd had 11 children, and they made a decision to follow Jesus they prayed and blessing on every one of those 11 children personally every night. Now, interestingly, he discovered that someone just a few years before him, just like 10 years before him, had done a similar study, but not of the Edwards family, but of the Dukes family. And the reason why I studied this, this and he was a sociologist, a sociologist by the name of Dugdale, and the reason why he'd studied the Duke's family was that he was interested in prison life as a sociologist and, and the nature of criminality. And he found that again and again, as he studied the prisoners, they got back to one family. <laughs> and, and, and that was the Duke's family. And he thought, that's really interesting. So what we ended up with was a unique study of Two families, as, they, as the generations had panned out, and, and so Winship was able to do a comparative analysis. And there was a staggering difference. He found in the Edwards family, as he went through the family tree, that men and women had consistently given themselves to the service of the community. Had got involved in productive workplaces. There were doctors there were lawyers, there were politicians, there were all kinds of people in all kinds of trades and so on, but there was a stunning continuity 
of productivity and faith in God. Out of 1,500 of them, 100 became pastors. And then he compared it to the other family where a decision was made in and in, in around New York City and that decision was not to go with God. There were choices made that were unhealthy choices. And as he looked down a parallel, he found that there was a consistency of criminality. 150 people had criminal records in those five generations. There were seven murderers and a whole lot of people who gave themselves to unhealthy things. Staggering difference. Why do I say that? I say it because what we see portrayed in stark fashion is two legacies. One is a legacy of ungodliness, and the other is a legacy of faith. Why do I say that? Three weeks ago, um, I was speaking at the New Life staff retreat, and staff from here were present there. And we sang a song called Speak Jesus. And I hadn't sung it before, but as we were singing it, we came to a line that said, Speak Jesus for your family. And as I was trying to, I got to this place where I couldn't sing. And the reason why I couldn't sing was because I had a picture of my own family. I have no Christian faith or church attendance past my parents. Before that, no record at all. And yet, at the age of 17, I knelt before my bed and I decided to follow Jesus. I've been married to the same woman for 42 years. We had two sons, have two sons, <laughs> who have secular occupations of significant influence, both who testify to their love of Jesus Christ. They married two women, both who love Jesus. And the two families have, by the sheer grace of God, gifted me with four granddaughters who I... Now, I want to be unbiased here. They are the most beautiful little girls that I've that in the whole world, right? That's an unbiased statement. I would die for them. But listen to this. Every Sunday, every Sunday, I get to worship with all of them. At the front of our church, there's four little girls. <laughs> and they're not told to sit at the front. They just love Jesus. And as we're singing, speak Jesus for your family, all I could see was the blessing of God on my family. Now, I want to say as quickly as I can that I undenied about preaching this today, both at Coolangatta and here, I wrestled with it. And I wrestled with it because I've got good friends in ministry who don't have that blessing at the moment, whose kids wouldn't go to church, who don't own Christian faith. But man, I, they're prayed for every day. 
And the point I want to make tonight is this. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, it is a personal decision. It is a decision of an individual. But let me tell you this. It has supernatural, generational implications. It changes things from generation to generation. Psalm 145 was beautifully read to us tonight. And as I had those words resonating, speak Jesus, I went to Psalm 145 and it says, I will speak of my God, my King. I will praise him forever and ever. I will extol him. I will um, announce him. I will praise him. I will speak of his splendor, of his majesty. I will meditate on his works again and again and again is I will speak of the goodness of God. But central in that psalm is verse four. Interesting, in in verse three, Augustine wrote a a huge tome called the Augustine's Confessions. And he actually took verse three as, as his key scripture. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness nobody can understand. But then it goes on to verse four. Hear it again. One generation commends, Shabak speaks of the works of God to another. One generation to another, they tell of your mighty acts. I meet people who are grandparents and who are longing for the grandchildren to know the Lord. I meet parents who are longing for their kids to come to know Christ. Kids often who've gone their own way, sometimes involved in really destructive, not always, but in destructive ways. I meet friends who have friends they pray for every single day to come to Christ. I wonder if you've got someone on your mind right now. I've got people who pray for their nieces and nephews. Mike, how do you say his surname? Pivalachi from yesterday. Mike Pivalachi is a single man. And he was sharing with us, I think last night, um, at dinner, he was sharing that he um, takes his nephews and nieces, he just loves them. He just loves on them. He has them for half a day every week as a single man. And he longs for them to come to know Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing? One generation commends the praise of God to another. Man, oh man. Some of you do little things. You pray with your children or you pray with your friends each day, quietly. Some of us who are parents or grandparents, we put the kids on our knees and we read Bible stories to them. From the day my eldest son... Cullen was born in 1985. I prayed a prayer for him. From Luke 2.52, that he would grow in wisdom and stature in favour with God and man. And I can tell you, every single day since then, I've prayed for him, his brother, their wives, and now grandkids. It's just something I do. It's small. 
And it may seem small when you say a prayer for a friend or prayer for a child or read a Bible story or whatever. But I can tell you those little things matter to God and God can take the small seeds and do something powerful with them. You know, I started in ministry. I was originally a primary school teacher and I started as a children's leader, as a children's pastor. And um, at one time we had a guy come to the church and he took take seminars training um, people who have signed up for Sunday school and that sort of stuff. And he made a statement that he's never had in his seminar a Sunday school teacher or children's ministry leader or worker who didn't have some kind of influence of the Lord when they were young, right? He said, I've never met one who's ever been to my seminars who didn't have something happen when they were small, when they were young, that, that was where a seed was planted. After the seminar, a 40-year-old woman came up to him and said, um, I can't remember what his name was now, John, I'm your exception. She said she was a 40-year-old woman and she grew up on a cattle station out in the outback somewhere. And she said, my parents were totally atheists. They had no desire to have any religion in the house and ensured that it wouldn't come. So I'm your exception. A few weeks later, she went home. And the question bothered, it just stayed with her. Did anything happen? Am I right in saying that? And she's having dinner with her mum and dad. And she says, mum, something I've been wondering was there anything happened when I was a kid? Like, did you send us once to Sunday school or church or children's measure or whatever? She said, sweetheart, you know the answer to that. <laughs> Nothing. But then she started to think about it. And a few nights later at dinner, she said, you know how you asked me whether there was one time, just one time, I thought about that, and there was, I think, one time. She said occasionally there were these priests, in her words, or people that would come and they would visit stations in the outback. In the Uniting Church, we called them patrol padres, people who would have four-wheel drives, and they still do it, frontier services, all that. And she said normally when they came, I would say, in no uncertain terms, rack off, except it wasn't rack. And get, like, get out. And she, but she said there was one guy, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. And he said, look, she said, I was on the front porch of our house, and I had a baby in my arms, and this guy came to the gate, and said, can I pray for the baby? She said, no. Look, just a prayer. And he was so persistent. He said, just to get rid of the guy. I said, all right. He came up to the veranda, took the baby, and said some words, which I know were words of prayer and blessing. 
And she said, that baby was you. Now, I don't know what you think about that. I know what I think. When that blessing took place, it was just a tiny seed. But it took root in her life. You may pray for people, your children, your parents who are unbelievers. And I want to keep encouraging you to do that. Because a prayer in my economy, the economy of God, is never wasted. Cast your bread upon the waters and it will return to you in many days. And it may be many days. The guitarist Tommy Emmanuel had to hit rock bottom in his career before in a junk, drunken stoop, he actually thought, i got to find somebody. And the only person he could think of was a neighbour down the road, an older woman who he knew as a little kid but who'd been all about Jesus. That's how he became a Christian. Folks, it's a powerful thing to speak Jesus. True? And you know what? We speak Jesus when we don't even speak. Those of us in Christ, if you're a Christian here tonight, today, you speak Jesus even when you don't speak because you have an example that you offer of how to be a Christian. Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, to you who were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps and be an example to others. But let me say this as well. It's not just about you being an example. Because listen, the day you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, the Holy Spirit meets with you. And, and you from that moment on carry something that I would call the presence of God. See, some of you, as I'm saying this, are saying maybe as parents, grandparents or friends or children of parents, which we kind of all are, some of you be saying, well, you know, I want them to come to the Lord, but I'm the worst example. I'm not good enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't know when those two change, but anyway, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect friend. I'm not a perfect parent. Well, let me say this. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, the Holy Spirit begins a sanctifying work in your life and, you, and begins to change you. But it's not just that either. The presence of God becomes part of who you are. I was reading Joseph, Genesis 39 and 40, in those chapters. And it's remarkable how many times it says of Joseph that the Spirit of God or the Lord was with him. Was, it, was the Lord with him when on a good day? No. He was a man of God. A man like David after God's own heart. And if you're a person like that, the presence of God is upon you. And whether you're riding in a train or traveling in a bus or at an airport or wherever, the presence of God is with you and upon you. And God will use that for his glory. 
You may feel like you're the worst sinner in this church right now. Listen again the words of, of Paul to Timothy when he says this. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. This is not me. This is him saying it. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So you better be ready to hear this. Get in listening position, receptive position, because this is a powerful statement. And this is what, what is he so concerned about? This is what he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is Paul speaking. And did you notice the tense? Not was, am. And, and, and listen to what he says next. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense goodness and love and compassion and grace. How about that for a statement? If you're sitting there feeling sorry for yourself and saying, well, I'm a Christian and I gave my heart to Jesus, but I fail, listen to those words. God can use you. Don't get me wrong. He, through the Holy Spirit, is sanctifying our lives and bringing us into a likeness of his son, Jesus. But he can use you. You walk into the office or the staff room. He can use you. I remember as a teacher walking into the staff room. Staff rooms were fascinating places. Actually, I saw a comedy the other day that displayed it, but I won't go there. Um, and I, I sat next to a woman and I said something to her and she just burst into tears. And all I said was, hi, what is that? You know what it is? It's the presence of Christ. I'm amazed how many incidental encounters I have. There was a strange one last Friday when I, I went through security in Adelaide, you know when you go through security, you, there, there's, two, there's a track for your luggage and you, you always wait. I get everything out of my pockets, everything, take my belt off, keep, try and keep my pants up, just to get through security. I thought, please, Lord, let me get through security. Just let me through. I don't want... But there's two tracks. One is for your luggage and then there's an off track for luggage with a problem. You know what I'm talking about? And my case went on that track. And the guy opened it. It's not a good feeling, especially when you know your jocks and socks or everything, you know, anyway. And he took three things out of the case. One was my computer mouse. One was my Bluetooth um, sound thing, bar. And my Bible. He took my Bible out. And he put it on a separate tray and took that the, the round to the other side of security. It had to go through security again. My Bible. When, he got, when it came back to him, he started putting things back. I, I, I was a bit indignant, but I said, you know, that book there, it's dangerous. <laughs> he went a bit white. <laughs> I was then afraid that he was going to call security. <laughs> Arrested for having a Bible in my suitcase. But you know what? 
It is a dangerous book. The Word of God, I love the Word of God. It is a dangerous book because it will change your life. And it's a wonderful book. It's amazing, the presence of God. I mean, I wasn't doing anything other than being just an ordinary person wanting to get through security, and suddenly I'm confronted with this guy's taking my Bible. It's amazing what happens. I hope that man today remembers that comment and maybe starts reading it. To speak Jesus is to leave a legacy. And my heart today and the word that I believe that God has given me is to say to you, you have a legacy. Which one will it be? You have a legacy. Psalm 100, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It's not about forcing people speaking Jesus. It's not about manipulation. It's just about passing on the love of Christ to those we care about. Oh, Lord. They can ignore it for years. And I know there are people here who've got names in their minds and you think, man, if they ever come to Christ, I, I can't even believe that they could. Sometimes it takes years. But, oh, God doesn't waste any of your prayers. I want to finish with this story. And it's about a woman and it's about a woman in the 1930s. It's kind of at Coolangatta this morning. It's amazing that I was preaching on this because there's a couple there who, and it was his 90th birthday this morning. 90th. Um, David and Judy. And um, for some reason, we, we, um, we celebrated their 90th. And after I... Um, preach this message, they came forward. I invited, as I will tonight, people to come for prayer. And I've got this 90-year-old couple who could barely make it to the front. But all I could see in their lives was legacy. They were people who'd done something for Christ. He was, he'd been to that church since 1932. And look at what's happening in that church now. For him, it's an answer to prayer, and this is an answer to prayer. But he got me thinking about the 1930s. In the 1930s, there's a woman in Mooney Ponds in Melbourne, and she's wandering the street with two children, one a daughter of 12 and a son of 10. And she has no work, she has no shelter, and she has no food. She's on the street the children are on the street. The husband left years before. There was actually an article in the Melbourne paper about the fact that he'd gone missing, never seen again. She was originally up in the hills but had to come as most people who were in need come to the city. <laughs> what a great place to have a church, by the way. But they were desperate. The woman once recounted that they finally got some shelter by getting into a lean-to against a big dance hall. And she remembered at 12 o'clock on a Saturday, 
uh, night hearing the thump, thump, thump of people dancing and she couldn't get to sleep. But she was in desperate need and this family was in desperate need. Down the road in Mooney Ponds, there was a little Methodist church. And this little Methodist church had, a fest- had an annual festival and in the old Methodist traditions, there was a festival called Harvest Thanksgiving. And rural churches would have, the farmers would come and they'd bring their first fruits, so to speak, and they'd lay them here. This probably happened in this church. And people who weren't farmers would bring, bring all kinds of cans of this and that. And I remember as a kid in a Methodist church watching this pile of stuff um, grow at the front. And I thought, oh, I wouldn't, couldn't wait till afterwards so I could sort of nick a couple of things. But um, that's what they did. And eventually it would go to the poor. This lady from the church came to the pastor. It might have been a group. And said, there's this really poor family. They're in desperate need. And you know, that church gave that family the entire proceeds of the Harvest Thanksgiving Festival. You say, what's so special about that? Well, what's special to me is this. That 12-year-old girl was my mother. And I, I never had any, and she had no church background, no Christian background at all. The next week, she went to church. Her mother never did. Her mother ended up in what we used to call a mental asylum and died by the age of 20. Should that when my mum was 20 and she was fostered out. And they were terrible years for her. But the one stable thing in her life was the church. I'm not even sure she ever gave her heart to Jesus. And I know that growing up, she wasn't an easy woman. She wasn't the greatest mum, to be really honest. She never forgot her past and she could never get over it. But she, in her own way, loved Jesus. A few years ago, my wife and I taking a southern expressway south of Adelaide. And I don't know what it is. I, I wish I had this gift, but my wife has it. We're driving to some friend's place and my mother had developed Alzheimer's and had had it for probably a year, maybe 18 months. And for the last six months, she hadn't been able, she didn't know who, it was kind of strange because she was actually quite sweet when she, she said her Alzheimer's because she forgot all the bad things that happened. But in the last six months, she didn't know who we were. She couldn't put a sentence together. She had no intelligible words to say. So we're traveling down the road and my wife says to me, I, we need to turn around. We need to turn around now. So we turned, I'd, I'd learned to do what my wife said in that when she was in the spirit and we turned around and she said we need to visit your mum right now and that night we visited my mum as she lay in bed dying and I sat on the edge of the bed and I held a hand and I prayed for her and at the end of the prayer I prayed the Lord's prayer and to my astonishment she prayed it word for word, in every, totally and completely articulated. That night, she went to be with the Lord. No prayer is wasted, huh? Now, I want to say to you now, I want to challenge you. 
What is your legacy? What is your legacy going to be? What is your legacy now? I'd really want to challenge you with that. Would you stand with me? There are those of you here tonight, and I just want this to be a gentle ministry. I want to declare this as a safe space and in some ways a brave space. But you've got someone in your mind and you've been praying for this person. It might be a parent, a child, I don't know, a nephew, a niece, friend at uni or work. And I would love it if we were able to bring those names to this place and commit these names to God. But I want to add this thing too. Maybe you've never publicly declared your faith in Jesus Christ. And I declare to you tonight that when you do, it has supernatural generational implications. Maybe tonight's the night. When you say, that will be my legacy. I've talked about my family. I've talked about my kids, my son, my grandchildren. And people in Adelaide, some know that they walk with the Lord. And sometimes on Father's Day and places like that, they say, can you come and speak about what it means to be a great parent? And, and sometimes Cullen, my son and I have both been invited And when I get in front of someone talking about this, I say to myself, I say, look, I think to myself, you know, I'd love to stand here and give you 10 principles of great parenting that I've followed. And I stand there and I think to myself, I am not a perfect parent and I have no right to deliver those principles. And the good thing is that Cullen usually speaks after me and attests to that fact. (laughs) Point I'm making is this. The only thing I ever did and the only thing I can recommend is that you follow Jesus and leave a legacy. If you've got a name, someone that you'd like to pray for and you'd like me to pray for, I'd love to pray with you. Would you step out from where you're sitting and come to this safe space at the because I'd love to pray with you. Would you do that? There are people on your minds, people that you care about. Come now. For some of us, it's painful because there are parents, there are children, nephews and nieces, if we can squeeze as far forward as we can. This is an act of obedience and surrender for some of us. It's an act of compassion for some of us because there are just people that we love and we just long to know would come to Christ. And then there's for some of us right now something going on for us that says, maybe I'm at the crossroads, but I know right now what legacy I want to leave. Amen. 
Now, for those of you who've come with names of people, I'm just going to invite you just to quietly, I don't need to hear them even, but just say, but audibly, name them. So for me, I name my brother Noel. Would you name your people? Let's just do that now. Name them, if you feel comfortable doing so. Maybe there are several. Oh, Father. God, I can't hear those names, but I know the Father does. Lord, I pray for those people that we have just mentioned by name. And I dare to pray that right now, whatever that person is doing, that your Holy Spirit would touch their heart. And God, I dare to believe that they would feel something, even they know they don't know what it is. But they would feel a movement of your spirit. Maybe they're walking, maybe they're watching TV. I don't know. Maybe they feel far from God. But right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch their hearts. They don't know how to articulate maybe what's happening, but something is happening. I believe that. And Lord, I pray too for us who are standing here today. Some of us becoming a Christian was a bold move out of a family and there was a cost. I I feel that. You becoming a Christian wasn't what's supposed to, wasn't in the design, you know. And for some of you, there are friends who've walked away and you know are behaving in ways that are destructive. Lord, I pray for every single one of us here tonight, whether we're standing in the front or back there, And I pray that your Holy Spirit would bathe us in the grace and love and compassion. And Lord, I know that when we declare Jesus as Lord, your your beautiful spirit dwells and presence comes to us. This morning at Kulingada, we we sang a hymn, a Wesleyan hymn called And Can It Be? And there's a wonderful line in it that speaks of God's Jesus righteousness divine that we experience as sons and daughters of God and that righteousness is what we are dressed, we're clothed in righteousness divine and that doesn't mean we don't want to declare our, our sin and seek forgiveness but God in His mercy and grace has clothed us with His presence Oh, isn't that a beautiful thing? Lord, use us. Use us to make a difference at uni or work or or in the city of Brisbane. I pray for the day. I pray for the day when the seats in this place are so full that people are knocking on the doors to get in. Not because we're attractive, not because of anything other than the Word of Christ, which this city, as every city, so desperately. Can you say amen to that?